Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. I find for a lot of us talking about what happens when we die is very intimidating. It's one of those things that nobody wants to really think about. We all, I mean, I don't know, I kind of wish I was invincible. I'm definitely not, but I wish I was. And sometimes the the thought of death is very, it's scary. You know, it puts you in a really awkward position. But some of the things to think about is what happens to your spouse or your children if you become disabled or if you die suddenly? What do you do following the death of a loved one? Who would actually manage your money if you lost the ability to do it? These are all questions that are so important, and it's exactly what we're going to be talking about with today's guest, Scott Learned. Scott Learned is an estate planning attorney and founder of Learned Lawyer. He graduated from Georgetown University Law Center in Washington, D.C. in 2001. As an attorney, he is committed to making sure that his clients have a plan for the future, no matter what might happen, and that their loved ones are protected even if the worst comes to pass. Now, I know that this episode might be triggering for some of you, but it's so incredibly important to pay attention to some of the details. Scott did a really good job of keeping this non-state specific, so it's the the information is definitely going to be applicable to you no matter what state you live in here in the United States. It's so critical to just take notes and to maybe think on this stuff, like give yourself like a weekend to really internalize all of the message and the information that Scott shares, because it's something that we need to have answers for, and we need to have a plan for. And it's not the sexiest of financial advice, but it affects your estate and your your family and your finances in such a hugely important way that it's really important that you spend the time to get these documents in place. So here's a little bit about what we're going to cover today. In this episode, we talk about what it was like growing up with a dad who is an investor. Scott's dad is one of my mentors that helped me even launch my business in this podcast and has been such a phenomenal support. So Kevin, if you're listening in, I'm so grateful for you and your mentorship. But it's always fascinating to see how people that have parents that are very financially savvy, how they approach that with their their kids. And so that was a very fun conversation. We go into a really good conversation about how practicing civil law and teaching high school led Scott to start an estate planning firm. He went through this period of time where he He was practicing uh, as an insurance litigator, which, as you can imagine, is not always the most fun type of job. It's for a very set type of person, and it wasn't for Scott. And so he started teaching high school for five years and eventually decided that, you know, maybe there was something there, but he had to be more creative with the type of law he was practicing. So I thought that was really inspirational to see that he's had numerous career shifts over the years and finally found something that speaks to him. We talk about what probate and estate means, like what do those terms actually mean, disinheritance, and why this is so critical to understand. I had no idea that this was a huge thing. Disinheritance completely rocked my world when I started to learn about this. So when Scott taught me this, you guys, like, oh my God, it's so critical to understand how this could impact you. We talk about getting past that awkwardness of talking about incapacitation and what to do how do you start to create that plan? What do you want to have happen to you? Just some some food for thought during a really uncomfortable conversation and uncomfortable thing to think about. 
why now is the time to plan your estate and your living will, how electronic documents might not actually be as effective depending on where you live, how to prepare yourself for a possible accident. There's two places you are most likely to have an accident. Scott talks about each of those and what you can do to set up your paperwork so it's there for you when you need it the most. And lastly, we start talking a little bit about what a trust and trustees are. This is something that I've had a lot of confusion on myself, so it was really good to get some clarification on what a trust is and when you might set a trust up. It's not just for uber rich people like I used to think. It's actually for average Joes, and it, it can be a really important tool to use to help you with your estate planning. This is probably one of the most important episodes, and I'm really excited that you get to learn this because I know this is something that many of us don't have the opportunity to learn about unless we go hire an attorney for you know thousands of dollars, which I highly recommend, but it's good to have a baseline, at least knowledge of why this is so critical. I think you guys are going to love Scott. He's definitely one of my favorite episodes so far. I just think the content is so applicable to everybody and so critical to everyone's financial lives. And while we are thinking through your estate and what do you want to have happen to you in the event that you're incapacitated or you die, the other piece to think about is how the heck you're going to financially cover the cost of like your funeral and those kinds of things too. And that's why I'm so grateful for today's sponsor. Let's hear a quick message from them. I don't know what it was, but when I hit 30, that's when I started to really start thinking about my future and what happens when I die and all of that stuff. And it's a little bit somber, I, I get it, but it's important work. For a lot of people, life insurance is truly the difference between being able to grieve and not have to worry about a ton of the financial obligations and having to go back to work too soon. Like It's a really, really big deal. And I know that men generally have more life insurance than women, and typically it's twice the amount of coverage. So it's a huge discrepancy. And one of the companies that is working really hard on fixing this is Jenny Life. Jenny Life wants to shrink that gap. And it doesn't matter if you're a working mom or a single mom or an expecting mom, maybe you're single or maybe your kids are like my kids and have four legs and they happen to be furry and bark a lot. <laughs> Regardless of what your situation is, you need life insurance. That's where Jenny Life comes in. Here's something crazy. Before Jenny Life, if a pregnant woman wanted life insurance, she'd actually have to use her pregnancy weight. And that usually equates to higher rates. Or even at one time in the United States, it was illegal, illegal for women to own a life insurance policy. Like what? Isn't that nuts? Jenny Life is doing a really great job. They make it fast and easy for women to know their families will be taken care of with life insurance that's uniquely built for your needs. With Jenny Life, you can get your life insurance policy without blood work or unnecessary red tape, and you can do it all online from the comfort of your home. Here's how it works. They ask you five simple questions. They curate plans from dozens of A-rated insurance carriers, and it gives you a personalized budget-friendly life insurance quote in seconds. For example, a healthy 32-year-old woman can get a half a million dollars in coverage for about a dollar a day without ever stepping into a doctor's office. It's so critical that women take control of their finances, and life insurance is one of those pieces that is going to give you a lot more peace of mind in your future. So it's super, super important. And I definitely believe that life insurance is something that every woman should have in place because every family deserves a secure financial future. So take a few minutes to get your Jenny Life 
policy right now. Visit JennyLife.com slash money nerds to get a free quote right now. That's JennyLife.com slash money nerds for your life insurance quote today. Again, JennyLife.com slash money nerds. Okay, now back to the show. All right, Scott Learned, thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah, thank you. I am so stoked to chat with you. This is something that's been long overdue because you are a specialist when it comes to estate planning, and I'm stoked to chat about it. I am, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. I This is something that I think probably a lot of your listeners don't realize is relevant to them, so hopefully we can kind of paint the picture of why this is important for them. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to be really fun because one of the questions I typically ask people is how money was talked about as a kid. And I know your dad very well. So tell me a little bit about (laughs) some of the ways that money was talked about when you were growing up. Yeah. We were always encouraged to save a little, give a little, spend a little. You know, if we got, if we got a gift in from Christmas or a birthday or something, remembering to think about others and think about your own future self and all that. So, you know, my, my dad, my dad's been an investor his whole life, and so he really shared a lot of that with me and my brother um, as we were growing up and talked a lot about investment and about how businesses work. Both my parents owned a business from when I was a little kid, and so money was always a, a subject in our family, you know, the good times and the bad times. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We, as a business the kids owners. Kinda, yeah, the kids kind of knew. I mean, we, we knew when our family had a lot of our net worth was tied up in their business for a long time. And that's just how a small business goes. But, you know, I started a paper route when I was like 12 or 13. And my dad said, we're setting up an IRA for you, for your paper route money. And so I was a 13 year old with an IRA. And uh, yeah, and we just maxed out my IRA contribution with my paper route money each year. That is so cute. Yeah, so you know it it wasn't it wasn't a ton, but God, you compound it when you're 13, you know, and I'm in my 40s now, and that seed money's taken off. So that's it's pretty amazing. Sweet. Yeah, I gotta ask too. I don't think I I ever learned this about you. What was your draw to law school? Like, why why did you go down that path? Yeah, uh, I don't. <laughs> um, I, I was always supposed to be an engineer. I have a math and science background and was like targeted as an engineer. And I got into to college and said, you know, I don't think I want to do what engineers do. That just doesn't seem to appeal to me. I really like people. I like solving problems, but I like solving problems that feel really important to somebody. And sometimes engineers are kind of toiling away in the in the basement of their business, you know, like inventing this really cool thing. And that really cool thing is going to be helpful to somebody someday. But I think I need the more like direct, here's the person I'm helping. And I can see that person and feel like I'm making an impact in their life. So that drew me to law initially. And then kind of the intellectual challenge, the opportunity to really get to know people and, and what's making them tick and um, all that sort of stuff. So I like it. What was law school like? Law school was weird for me because most of my classmates had a, like a reading and writing background. Mm -hmm. And I was a horrible reader and a horrible writer when I arrived (laughs) in law school. And I was really good on the analysis side, the analytical side, the linear sort of logical thinking. And a lot of my classmates struggled with that. So for me, it was like, 
holy crap, you want me to read how much <laughs> this week? Like, I'm used to reading, you know, a couple pages here and there on a really deep level. And so just getting through the workload was was rough. And, you know, I went to school in Washington, D.C., which is a kind of a hard city to live in sometimes. And so, you know, law school, I don't know, law school probably wasn't like my happiest time of my life. <laughs> no, I can imagine. But, you know, but I got through it and came straight back to Idaho and set up shop. So, so did you immediately start your own business when you got back to Idaho, or did you no. go work for someone else? How'd that work? Yeah, I worked for a big civil defense litigation firm, oh, okay. um, which now doesn't exist anymore. But it had you know twenty or thirty lawyers and probably thirty support staff, and I I mostly defended businesses that had been sued by their employees for like wrongful termination or um, overtime pay or family medical leave stuff. So it was all litigation. It was very full of animosity and conflict. And I can I can deal with animosity and conflict. It just drags you down after a while. And I think that's true. You know, look, there are a lot of lawyers who are really depressed. Uh, a lot of lawyers have, you know, drinking and drug issues and depression issues and anxiety. And I think it's because most of us are able to handle conflict. Uh, we can kind of live in conflict, but we don't really like it. And mm. so it feels crappy. So so I burned out after five years of that and quit, and I vowed I was never going to practice law again. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. So I, did, I didn't, though. I, I uh, taught high school math and science for five years. Get out of here. I didn't realize that. Yep. yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I taught at a little private school and... Taught 11th and 12th grade math, science, and theater because I have a theater background. Um, <laughs> and so, and when you teach in a little tiny school, and they're like, "Well, we have students who want to take theater. Who teaches theater? Uh, <laughs> Learn it teaches theater. Learn it. You're a theater teacher now. Okay, great." Um, so I did that for five years. I, I burned out on that too because, you know, when you work for a big law firm, you work really long hours. It's really intense, and they pay you really well. Mm-hmm. When you work for uh, a little private school, it's not the same length of hours. It's not the same length of intensity. It's kind of fun, but they pay you like crap. Right. <laughs> and so in 2011, I went through a divorce and was trying to figure out, like, how do I make ends meet? And what do I really want to do with myself? Because I didn't think teaching high school is probably a good long-term solution. And so that's when I started my practice. And what I really tried to do was balance making a reasonable living with helping people in a meaningful, hmm. impactful way. And that's actually how I ended up doing estate planning as my as my focus area is after a few years of sort of taking whatever came through the door and realizing that I was kind of back where I was originally with the big law firm, doing a lot of long hours for cases that didn't feel good. Finally, three or four years ago, I said, okay, I'm not taking anything but estate planning and related Hmm. cases. So I do estate planning and probate, um, which is the process of wrapping up a deceased person's financial affairs after they die. That's something we'll, we'll talk about here, but, uh, so that's, that's all we do. And I love it because, you know, these are real issues for people and we can solve most of those issues for them in meaningful, impactful ways and for kind of a reasonable price. And, you know, that's, that's a good, good business model and feels rewarding for me as a, as a human. So 
So yeah. as an attorney, do you work with people only in Idaho? Do you consult with people outside of Idaho? How does that part work? Yeah, so I am only licensed in Idaho, which means that my clients have to have some sort of nexus with Idaho. So, okay. you know, typically that's because they live here, they work here, they own property here, etc. But sometimes, you know, I have clients who are overseas who happen to have property in Idaho, um, and so I can help them because, you know, we got to worry about their Idaho property, and, and that's what I do. So, yeah, you know, what, what we'll talk about today, though, is pretty broadly applicable. Certainly anywhere in the United States, these concepts are true. And the problems we're going to talk about are true everywhere in the world. You know, everybody's got these issues. The solutions might be a little different depending on what legal jurisdiction you're in. For example, the Commonwealth countries, the UK, Australia, those countries really frown on trust-based planning, which is where it's at in America. Interesting. Yeah. So if you are located in England, you're probably not going to use a trust-based solution to anything because they're going to tax the hell out of you. Whereas in America, everything's going in your trust. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, totally different. Right? So so the solutions are different, but the, the I think the point, the overarching point for today is there are problems that need to be solved for people. And so go find a local expert who can solve those problems for you. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, well, this is, so. I, I think the problems that we kind of talked about pre-recording. It's so critical. And it's one of those things that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. It's a, it's a little bit kind of a sober topic. It makes you feel like crap sometimes to think about, okay, when I die, what do I want to happen? Right. So for, from your perspective, you mentioned a couple terminologies, you said a state, and then you said probate. Can you define like what the crap each of those mean? <laughs> yeah. So a state is a fancy word that means all the stuff you own when you die. Okay. That's it. So it's just it's just all your property. And so it it's a it's a shitty word from my seat because most people hear estate and they think mansion and Bentley and 100%. you know right, you know, giant estates, right? Like the sort of colloquial use of the word. And that's not at all what it means from a legal standpoint. It just means the crap you have when you die. And so everybody when they die has an estate it might be a little tiny estate. It might be a great big one, but it's there. And unless you make a plan for it, your government will happily supply a plan. Um, and that's the probate process in a nutshell. Do Technically, I can get into like technical legal details. That's that's sort of a generalistic statement, but that's basically true. Like the probate I, I process appreciate is that. the government's plan for you. Do we want the government's plan for us? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. You know, for a lot of single people with no kids, mm-hmm. actually, no, that's not true. I was going to say it works out pretty well. Where it really works well is like your 75-year-old couple who have been married to each other for 50 years. They have two or three adult kids And what they want their plan to be is when I die, it goes to my spouse. And when my spouse dies, it goes to my kids. And nobody has any financial problems and nobody has any, you know, personal issues, no drug addicts or disabilities or anything. It works pretty well in that case. But that family exists less and less, right? Yeah. So, you know, the more stereotypical family is the kids from the first marriage <laughs> don't get along with the wife, the second wife. And, you know, the, if you don't make a plan, you may well disinherit your kids from your first marriage. 
So we see that all the time. So if you take a blended family that's got his kids, her kids, and our kids, right, what the default rules typically say is when the husband dies, it all passes to the wife. When the wife dies, it all passes to her kids. Oh, wow. We've just disinherited all of his kids, right? Holy crap. I didn't realize that. And if she dies first, then it all passes to him and his kids. And her kids get disinherited. Oh, wow. So, Yeah, so disinheritance is a huge problem in blended families because the default rules are not set up for blended families, right? They're set up for the leave-it-to-beaver family, right? One marriage, one set of kids, and that just doesn't mimic a lot of families. So if you fit that mold, right, that the system is programmed for, it's going to work out okay. Mm -hmm. We can do better. We can always do better, but it's going to work out okay, right? Um. But then there's there's a lot of problems that arise that the state doesn't have a very good plan for. Um, so an example is incapacity. So what happens if you get cracked on the head, you've got a brain injury, and you can't manage your own money anymore, right? right. Maybe you can still live independently, but you can't be trusted to make your own financial decisions. The, the problem you have, especially if you're a single person, right? If you're married – your spouse probably has the ability to step in and manage your assets for you. But if you're not married and you're an adult, there's really nobody who has the legal authority to immediately step in and start helping you manage your money. Hmm. Uh, So you either have to name somebody and give them that ability or the court system's going to have to go to work. At least in the United States, that's how it's going to work. Somebody's going to have to sue you to get legal authority to act on your behalf and protect Crazy. your rights. Yep. So it happens a lot where, a, you know, a parent will seek guardianship and conservatorship is what it's called over their child. So if you've got a, you know, same thing if you've got a kid with a disability, when they reach adulthood, um, they're their own separate thing. And so mom and dad have to actually file a lawsuit to get legal authority to continue to act on their behalf. That is so wild. Yep. But it's all stuff that, you know, you and I can sign documents today that say if I get bonked on the head and I have a brain injury, I want my dad to manage my money for me. And, you know, or my spouse or my kid, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever's appropriate for the situation. And that's called incapacity? Is that what you call it? I I call it incapacity planning or disability planning. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, and, you know, another part of the estate planning process, we, we we focus a lot on property, on money and assets, but we also focus on healthcare, um, and who has the authority to make healthcare decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. And that is probably – like that's probably the piece of estate planning that's most relevant to the most people because any one of us can have an accident today that causes us to be incapacitated for a period of time, right? If you're in a coma, you can't speak for yourself. You've got to designate somebody who has the authority to speak on your behalf because the law will do that for you and you may or may not like the outcome, right? In the United States, the doctors basically have the right to listen to whomever the doctors want to listen to about your care, Hmm. which as a result means the doctors can kind of do whatever they want. Man. And if, yeah, I mean, if you don't want that, so like hypothetically, right. we, we have this, we say this as a joke. It's probably not really a joking manner. And I always talk about, um, my brother's married to an RN yeah. and she is like 
two weeks if you're in a coma and you're you're brain injured and there's no activity two weeks and then i'm pulling the plug now i'm over here like oh what like give me yeah. at least a month you guys like come on right but if i don't have that document it's yeah. more at the will of the care provider you bet and 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 yeah. state law and you know depending on your jurisdiction there's different rules that apply in idaho they'll just keep you alive and they'll do it as long as they possibly can and if you've got a persistent if you're in a persistent vegetative state, right? That's the that's the technical name for your brain's dead and it's never coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a persistent vegetative state, you can survive for years, years wow. and years and years. Um, and you'll just lay in a hospital bed and your loved ones will pay for your care. Holy crap. Or, or the state will, right? I mean, if you run out of money, then the state will step in and pay for your care. Yeah. But oh my God, the, though. The, yeah. But, you know, you think about like, the burden on your spouse or on your parents or on your friends that, you know, our friend Whitney's still at the hospital. It's been years and I still go every goddamn week because, you know, because I feel like I have to, because if I don't, I'll feel like shit Mm because she's laying in the hospital bed. Right. But she doesn't know I'm there because her brain's completely destroyed. Um, It reminds me of the kids. There's, case in this area, which is the case of a woman named Terry Shivo. It was a lady in Florida. Um, Terry had body dysmorphic disorder, which meant that she um, she believed that she was much heavier than she was. And so I understand from a little bit of research I've done that she was living on a diet of green tea, which it turns out is real bad for your body, right? Um, and it really screwed up her electrolytes. Well, she had a heart attack in the middle of the night, and collapsed on the floor in the hall between her bedroom and the bathroom. And her husband found her there like eight hours later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her heart had been stopped for that whole time. Well, her husband did what anybody's going to do and called 911, right? Well, in the Americans, they call 911. <laughs> Other people call like 999 or whatever, uh, <laughs> depending on where you're located. Um, she He called for an ambulance, they came, they got her heart started again, but her brain had been without oxygen for eight hours. And so, you know, her brain was totally destroyed. In fact, later after she passed, they did an autopsy and her brain was like two thirds liquid. I mean, it was, it was not brain anymore. Right. But, uh, it turns out that your heart can happily beat along, uh, and pump blood through your body without the brain telling it to do that. Um, And so they got her heart started back up and she then was the subject of like dozens of lawsuits between her husband who believed that she would want to be allowed to die Mm -hmm. and her parents who were Catholic and believed that she would want to be kept alive because of religious reasons. And she had never, um, she had <clears throat> there's there's some question as to whether she had tried to state a preference before this happened for whether she would be kept alive or allowed to die. Um, but she was certainly did not do it in a legal way. Um, so there was no legally binding guidance from her saying whether she wanted to be kept alive or allowed to die. And so they kept her alive for seven years while her husband and her parents sued each other and, you know, bankrupted everybody. Um, and ultimately they pulled the plug and she died a few days later. But even after, you know, it destroyed the relationship between 
her husband and her parents to such a degree that there was lawsuit a lawsuit between them over what should happen to her remains after she mm-hmm. died. Oh um, my gosh. Because, you know, you think about a situation like this. Let's say, you know, that you have a car crash and you're brain injured yeah. and you're in, in the hospital. I, I think any rational adult who has an ounce of caring would want their spouse and their parents to come to the bedside and hug each other. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> sure. You know, share tears and say, this is so awful that this happened and I'm glad we can be here to support each other. And because of the legal wrangling that had to happen over this disagreement and because she didn't do anything ahead of time to, to fix that problem, um, you know, it destroyed that relationship to, to sort of the worst place you can possibly imagine uh, in-laws and their, their son-in-law getting. Um, so, the, the thing about Terry that most people don't really understand is she was 26 when she suffered her brain injury. And so people who think, well, I'll do all this estate planning when I'm in my 60s or 70s, you know, that's something yeah. retired people do. Yeah, certainly if you're in your 60s and 70s and haven't done it yet, get your butt down to your lawyer. <laughs> but, but if you're in your 20s, if you're over the age of 18 – you're the only person who can do this for yourself. So you got to go do this for yourself. Um, it's an act of love for the people around you who will be stuck picking up the pieces If yep. for you to go say, if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, I want you to pull the plug on me. You know, have a great wake and hug each other and cry a lot. And mm-hmm. that's real shitty, but at least y'all don't have to sue each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? like and I can't even imagine. You know, this is a totally personal decision, obviously, right? And I have clients who want, who want the full treatment. They want to be kept alive because they think that there might be some hope of them coming back. And that's fine. It, it's totally up to, to you to decide that for yourself. Talk to your doctors, you know, and, and get some information on that subject. But to, to not choose is like the only real selfish outcome, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and if you haven't chosen, you leave all your loved ones going, I don't, I don't really know. Right. I, what Whitney would have wanted in this situation. Right. I don't know. Um, so, and so they're going to get, so do we write that down? Guilty. Yeah. So in the United States, you're going to use um, something with the name of like healthcare power of attorney, a living will, an advanced healthcare directive. It goes by different names in different States. Um, in, in Idaho, you do a living will and a healthcare power of attorney. So the living will is the thing that says, if I have a brain injury, I want you to leave me alive or pull the plug. And the healthcare power of attorney says, any other decision, I want my spouse to make that decision. Mm -hmm. And if my spouse can't or won't, I want my mom to make that decision. If she can't or won't, I want my, you know, my best friend to make that decision or whatever. If you've got that in place, that's who the doctors are going to rely on and that's who the doctors are going to talk to. So the number one thing, and and by the way, you can get forms for this for free in most jurisdictions in the United States. So if you go online and you Google the name of your state and healthcare directive or living will, they get the form. In Idaho, it's through our Secretary of State. They've got a form online. You don't even have to notarize it. You could literally have this done by the time you're done listening to this podcast. So that's a problem that's really easy to solve, but it really needs to be solved because it can just wreak havoc on the people that you love. Mm-hmm. And who yeah. wants to do that? No, especially when you're going through such a, I mean, 26 years old ter- for Terry's situation. I can't even imagine right. nobody expects that for their life. Right. Of course. Of course. Wild. But, but, you know, I mean, I know 
people who were in car crashes and got brain injuries as teens or as young adults, right? Think about those folks. And once here's the problem with estate planning. Once the bad thing happens, everybody's rights are all set in stone. All we got to do is figure out what those rights are. And sometimes that involves reading a legal document. Sometimes it involves filing lawsuits with a court and spending years and years and tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to find out what the legal rights are. But those rights are set the moment the bad thing happens. Mm. So when you die, the legal rights are set by your death. We're just going to find out what those legal rights were through some sort of process, right? And so we can make that process real easy. Here's what the legal rights are, right? <laughs> I give all of my assets to my my life partner, for example, right? Mm-hmm. End of story. That's the deal. Or we leave it up to a lengthy six months, a year. I'm in a case that's been going on over five years now. Whoa. It's cost about a quarter million dollars and we're not done. Oh my gosh. Right. So it can get really ugly. Now that's not by any means typical, but it can happen. And, you know, we can, we can stave all that off by just doing some smart estate planning. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. I love that you, you're breaking this down that it actually, it sounds terrifying, (laughs) which it probably should, but it seems manageable. It seems like we can all just take, you know, 30, 40 minutes and just get this put into place. So that's for like the, the living will and the healthcare. I know your dad was always on my ass about this, actually. He's like, (laughs) Miss Hanson, if you're not married, you need to get these documents. (laughs) I'm like, I'm on it, Kevin. I'm on it. (laughs) It's true. true. I mean, we, yeah. And, and I would definitely think about it as two different sides of the coin. There's the healthcare side and there's the finances side, mm. right? So you've got to worry about your healthcare issues. Those are generally pretty easy to solve because you can just kind of write down, this is what I want. And probably the most important thing just to finish up on healthcare is talk about it with people. Whomever you're going to name as your power of attorney, if it's your best friend or if it's your mom or if it's your kid or if it's, you know, your your spouse, talk to that person and say, you know, this is what I would want you to decide for me, right? I don't want you to leave me laying in a hospital bed with no quality of life and no prospect of recovery. Now, if there's prospect of recovery, <laughs> right. give, give me a chance, man, right? Or whatever. Um, but the key is for you to have that conversation with the people you love because the reality is unless your loved ones are going to go advocate for you um, and talk to the doctors and say, Whitney and I talked about this, and I know what she would want because she told me time and again um, that she wanted X. And so that's what I want you to do. And by the way, she wrote a letter to me that even got out. So that's even yeah. better than I just remember her saying it, right? Um, there's really nothing – there's not a lot of magic to that other than just – do it, right? Have that conversation. Are you the sort of person who rely, you know, focuses more heavily on like, I don't want to be a burden on other people? Are you more the sort of person who thinks if there's a chance that I'd like to see if that chance comes through for me? You know, how does that kind of weigh into your thinking? And, you know, there's tools online that can help you do all that if you want, but really it's, it's most important to just kind of have that conversation. How do we store these documents? This is something that I've always been curious about too. Is like I have a folder, and yeah. I don't know if that's right or wrong in my safe, yeah. but that's what yeah. I do. Like, is there a best practice? That's kind of a that's kind of a jurisdiction specific topic because some places 
scans and electronic copies are are relevant and some places they're not yet so like in idaho if if you've written a will we actually have to have the wet ink will the will that you put pen to paper on to take that document into court um yeah but with like a trust in idaho you don't really need that wedding signature now you might want it if there's some kind of a contest to prove that it was really signed by the person that you say signed it um but generally speaking a scan's going to work just fine and so that kind of depends on where you're at and what the local laws are like mm-hmm. we do not we do not yet use electronic signatures on estate planning documents in idaho um because there's just not clear guidance that that's legal that that's going to work. And of course, no lawyer wants to recommend that to a client and then only find out after they've died that that's going to get rejected by the court, right? Oh, yeah. Um, So so if if you're doing an estate plan with me, even though COVID's a thing, you're coming down to my office and we're going to mask up and sit away from each other and you're going to sign in my presence and I'm going to sign in yours. And that's how we're doing it because that's what the law says. (laughs) Like slide it across the table. (laughs) And then we're all going to use a lot of hand sanitizer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And bump elbows on the way out. Go away. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no doubt. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Goodbye. Um, But, you know, what I tell most of my clients is um, if you've given somebody a legal responsibility in your plan, give them a copy of the document that appoints them, right? So if you've got a will, give the executive of your will a copy of the document. If you've got a trust, give the backup trustee a copy of the trust. If you've done one of these healthcare powers of attorney and you name cousin Larry, well, cousin Larry needs a copy of your healthcare power of attorney because it's how he's going to prove to the doctors that he is the guy that has the authority to make decisions for you, right? So, and typically there's nothing real confidential in this stuff. Um, It's fascinating because people feel like I think it's natural human emotion. We don't want to talk about these issues for starters, right? We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about incapacity. It's it's kind of morbid and it feels real awkward to think about. People don't like to do that. You just have to get past that. <laughs> I get it. I understand it. But but it's too important to to let that emotion outweigh doing the right thing in this situation. So I guess what I'm getting at is you got to talk about it with people. You got to at least be willing to say, I wrote a will, it's in the folder in my house, (laughs) right in my filing cabinet, should you ever need it. One thing I don't want you to do is take the original will down to the bank and put it in a safe deposit box, because we now have a major problem if you die. The document we need to prove to a court that somebody else has authority to get into your safe deposit box is sitting in your safe deposit box. Oh, crap. So we end up yep. with a chicken and egg problem, right? How do we prove that I have the authority to access your safe deposit box without getting into the safe deposit box to prove that authority? What a mess. It's it's a nightmare. Uh, so please don't put it there. Uh, if you're going to put it in, you know, put it someplace safe, right? Just like you would keep your tax returns and your, you know, all those documents that you need to protect. Um, I mean, I think people should get a little fire safe. They're pretty cheap. Just get a little fire safe, put your really important documents in there, and then tell your best friend the code to that fire safe, right? Mm-hmm. Don't die having not told anybody the code to that safe. <laughs> Somebody needs to get into that thing if you're gone. And I, <laughs> if you're an estate planning attorney, you know a few safe crackers because sometimes <laughs> you got to get into Amp safe, uh, and nobody knows the freaking password or the freaking comedy, right? Hilarious. So we're gonna have to like pop the lock on that thing. So, 
so that that's really the answer to your question is like store them everywhere you can think to store them <laughs> right Wall give them to people with these things yeah yeah and that's even so, you know no one's told me that a, before either put a copy of your healthcare documents in your glove box of your car um because the the place that you're most likely to have a medical emergency i think I, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here but i'm guessing for a young adult it's your car right the the number one reason you're going to have a major medical situation is probably a car crash and and so put them in your car they're going to look in your glove box right have them run across your healthcare power of attorney how convenient <laughs> uh, no right and it's going to have the phone number of the person who's supposed to make decisions on your behalf so great now we've given the first responders a leg up hell throw a copy on your fridge or at least put a document on your refrigerator that says you know, my healthcare power of attorney is my spouse, cell phone number blank, right? Yeah. So that, because I, I would imagine the second most likely place you're going to have a problem is at home, right? And they know, the first responders know to go look in the family center, the refrigerator. <laughs> so true. <laughs> right? So. That's a killer um, tip, though. I love that. I'm definitely going to do that because, like, currently, yeah, it's in my safe, but I, I haven't given people a copy Yep. Which shame on me. Right when you said that, I'm like, oh, no. oh damn. Oh, <laughs> I'm yep. like, yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Everybody should do that. Another one is, you you know, if you carry a wallet, just print on a business card, you know, my healthcare agent is blank and stick it where your driver's license should go. Right. Because if somebody finds you laying on the side of the road, they're going to look for your driver's license. They're not going to look for a healthcare ID card, right? So stick it where your driver's license belongs because they're going to look there first and they're going to be like, oh, a healthcare agent. How handy. <laughs> and then they're going to pass through to find your driver's license to figure out who the hell you are, right? Um, or if you're a parent, I have children, right? <laughs> yeah. This is the person who's allowed to have custody of them if something happens to me. Because uh, the first responders would love to have that information, right? Now there's so much further to getting notice to your family, to getting um, your kids safe, getting you protected, getting the right people making decisions for you that you've chosen to make those decisions, right? I mean, you hear all the time about, um, you know, the identity of the person hasn't been released until the family can be notified. And that'll sometimes take days because we don't even know who this person is, right? And that's so shitty, that <laughs> right? That, that you could be laying in a hospital or in a morgue and we don't even know who you are, let alone how to contact your spouse who's wondered where the hell you've gone. Um, right. Like, holy crap. And that can happen. So the more we can kind of share that information and make sure that, you know, if somebody found you laying on the side of the road, how would they know? There's a really cool product that's a, a bracelet that you can get laser printed with your loved one's name and cell phone number. Hmm. So I'm a triathlete, so I wear them all the time when I'm out on my bike or out for a run because I don't usually carry ID. So it says my name. It says the year of my birth. It says my wife's name and her phone number. And it, I've got some medical issues, so it talks about those. So that if somebody finds me laying there, they can look at my wrist and say, oh, it's Scott, and we need to call Stephanie and let her know. And mm-hmm. don't, give him, don't give him the wrong meds, right? right. Yeah, no doubt. Because <laughs> we know that I... he's got – I need to do this too. So I do a lot of backpacking and I sometimes do solo trips too, to my mom's demise. She gets so pissed at me over that, but I do. And so that's one of those things too, where you've just triggered me. Like I really should be doing this even in my backpack, like something as simple as that. Yep. 
for sure. I mean, you just gotta, it's just kind of keeping in the back of your mind. And, you know, as a backpacker, you're always, I mean, if you're doing it right, you're always having some contingency planning, right? For sure. Like, what do I need in a first aid kit? What, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, one of the things you've got to think about is if I can't communicate for myself, how is anybody going to know anything? Right. Right. Well, I better tell them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like the great, I like how you mentioned earlier too, that it's one of the most selfish things that you can do is to not have that plan in place and to put that onto your family. Who's trying to just navigate grief and trauma and trying to figure out what do we do next? And then having to deal with what would Whitney want? Like you're spot on. That really is a very selfish thing. You know, one of the things that, that I would encourage your listeners to do if they, if their parents are alive is to them initiate a conversation with their parents about a state mm. plan mm-hmm. and just say, you know, Hey, I listened to this podcast and they have this lawyer and, you know, throw me under the bus, blame it on us. Right. Uh, <laughs> Whitney and this crazy lawyer said, we need to talk about this crap. So I'm, I'm talking to you. Um, but just ask them if they've got a plan and ask them where the plan is. Um, and who the key players are in the plan. And at least, you know, most parents at least will share that information if they're asked. Some parents are really uncomfortable about sharing too many details. But the the reality is, if you are the next of kin for a parent, especially true if you've got a single parent, right, mm-hmm. where, where you're the line of defense, you need to know these things because you may get the call. You know, your mom's been in a car crash. She's in the hospital. Who's her health care agent? Well, hell if I know. You know, maybe it's me. I don't know. I've never talked about this with her. I don't know what kind of health care she wants. I don't know where the will is. I don't know, you know. Well, you got to know that stuff. And and a lot of times you're going to find that they don't have a plan in place. And, you know, something like 35% of American or 65% of Americans have an estate plan of American adults. So 35% have absolutely nothing. And of course, we know that 65%, some chunk of that isn't really what they need. <laughs> right? It's screwed up somehow. So as a kid, you're going to really make life better for yourself if you sort of check with them and say, you know, it it, it is your business. A lot of kids feel like it's not their business, but it is your business because it's going to end up in your lap if you if they don't make other arrangements. I, I guess just initiate the conversation, you know, because mm-hmm. otherwise it's going to fall in your lap and you're going to be the one to pick up the pieces and it's going to be a total pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know what I was imagine. saying. One of the things that parents say all the time to me is I start talking to them about the tangible personal property, your personal effects, all the stuff you can touch and move and and carry around, right? Um, And and everybody's got their own weird things that they have that are valuable. You know, in Idaho, a lot of people have gun collections that are really valuable, and that's what they're worried about. Um, But, you know, we've seen like pretty much anything you can imagine that you can collect – there's somebody out there collecting it, right? Um, and I always say, listen, make a list of who should get what. And the, you know, well, we want our kids to get it. Well, I get that. But if you can address any of the conflicts between the siblings right now while you're alive to referee that project or that process, it's going to be so much bene- more beneficial for them than them having to do it. And what triggered me on this conversation is you said, you know, while your family's trying to manage grief and trying to manage uh, all that shit that goes along with a death, the last thing 
a parent needs to put on their kids is, oh, by the way, you get to negotiate with each other over all the family heirlooms now. And I hear it from kids. I was on a phone call earlier today, and the kids were so pissed at their dad because he left them a mess. And I get it. And so don't let that happen to you. Talk to your parents, (laughs) right? And say, hey, I really like the grandfather clock, you know? I don't know if you've made any arrangements for who gets that, but I'd really like to have it. I don't know if my siblings would either, but maybe you could talk to them and see, right? And if they do, then how about you choose, right? Or we can draw straws or something. Um, But leaving that, and the parents always say, oh, you don't know my kids. They'll be fine, right? But the parents don't know the families I've met. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. You see the worst of it. Absolutely. You have to assume the absolute worst behavior you can imagine out of a person because that's what you're going to get a lot of the time. And you also have to remember that the spouses get involved, you know? So like, uh, yeah, maybe your kids would get along fine, but as soon as the psycho wife of the, you know, the son gets involved and she's in his ear going, what do you mean you're not going to get the whatever? What do you mean you're not going to get the you know the heirloom jewelry? We want that stuff. That's valuable stuff. What do you mean your sister's going to get all that? We want that stuff, right? And it blows up. Pretty soon we're in court, right? And everybody's got a lawyer, and we're spending tens of thousands of dollars, and the lawyers are going, sweet, this is great. I'm sorry your family got destroyed. Good for business. You know, um, anytime your lawyer's really excited about the case, it's probably not good for you, the client, right? <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb. (laughs) Your cardiac surgeon is going to be really excited to do an octuple bypass, right? You're not. (laughs) No, definitely not. So so disappoint your cardiologist by taking good care of your body. Disappoint your lawyer (laughs) by taking good care of your legal needs and your financial needs, right? Uh, Disappoint your tax accountant by making your tax life really boring and easy, (laughs) right? (laughs) So true. This is professionals excited. (laughs) The crazy thing is you're saying all this stuff too, because I think you're right. People they want to assume the best in people, and I I was told by an attorney earlier too with when it comes to like prenups, it's like you already have a prenup plan. It just depends on if you want the state's prenup plan or if you want your own, like it's going to end at some point. So make sure that you're covered. And I feel like this is kind of the same too of you almost have to like plan for the worst and then hope for the best, but just in case you got your backup plan. Right. Right. It's so, you know, as people are, as people are working with you and, and thinking about their financial stability and they're growing their finances and accumulating wealth and stuff, that can all be destroyed so easily by so many different things. And we certainly don't want to like dwell on that, right? That would be a miserable place to live your life from. But you have to be aware that, you know, there's a risk of the stock market crashing. Great. What can we do to protect against that? There's a risk of the housing market crashing. What can we do to protect against that? There's a risk of you losing your job. What can we do to protect against that, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we know is your life is going to come to an end at some point. What we don't know is when right? That's the thing we don't know, but we know it is. And so, you know, how do we protect against if that were to happen? How do I protect the the people in my life? How do I make sure that they're protected? The people I love and care about don't have a complete colossal mess to pick up after something bad happens, right? That's really what it's all about. And oh man, I hope we're going to rewrite this estate plan 25 times over the next 50 years, right? But if this is the one that we needed, we're sure glad we had it, right? <laughs> no doubt. Which reminds so, me of a question too, is like, how often 
How often do you revisit this kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, I would say pull it out and look at your plan like every couple of years. Probably. Okay. And just look at, you know, who did I give jobs to? Who did I name as my healthcare agent? Oh, God, I can't remember. I forgot I put that person on my list, right? She and I had a major falling out, and we're not friends anymore. Like, she needs to be off my list. I need somebody else in her place or whatever. Or, you know, what what happens a lot of the time is as younger folks are naming the older generation in their plan, the older generation becomes no longer a viable option, right? Yeah. Um, And so – you know, when my dad was 65, he could do my, he could be the executor of my will. He's 75 now. He's still in good mental health and he's doing a good job and I'm sure he could still do it. But, you know, I don't know when, but at some point in the future, the reality is he's not going to be in a position to do it anymore. And then I'm going to have to rewrite my plan. So you have to keep thinking about that and think, oh, is this person still the right person for the job or is somebody else a better candidate? And then any of the major life events, right? Birth or death, marriage or divorce, big financial change, um, you know, a big windfall. Because um, one of the things we haven't talked about is tax, right? There is a thing called estate tax. There's so many things to talk about on that front. You know, right now for most Americans, it's not an issue, but we'll see if that changes under the 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 coming, you know, we'll see see what happens with the election to here. Be in a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be determined, yeah. To be determined, and we'll see. But um, but anyway, you, you've got to kind of keep revisiting that stuff, just just like you would with a financial plan or insurance planning or any of that kind of long term planning. Just to remember, what did I do? Because we forget, right? Because mm-hmm. you are you're going to shove this plan in a file someplace and not look at it again, right? And and so, what did I do? And is that still the right thing? Um, and older folks probably ought to do it like annually on a birthday or on an anniversary. Just remember, oh, I got to take a look at that plan and make sure it still does what I want it to do. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of times a trust. Can you like quickly go over like what is a trust and when yeah. might that be appropriate? Yeah. So a trust is kind of a weird thing to think about. If you think about what it means to own property, um, like own a house. You've got all the responsibility of owning a house, right? You got to pay taxes. Um, that's probably the biggest one, really, from a financial standpoint. You got to pay taxes. You got to pay the mortgage if if you got a mortgage. Um, you've got to put a new roof on when the roof blows off, right? That kind of stuff. And then you have the benefit of owning the property, right? You get to live there. <laughs> and and in the law, those are separable things. There's a lot more, um, like you have the right to to pump oil out of the land, right? Or you have the right to mine gold that's under your house or whatever. Um, In the law, we call that the bundle of sticks. This is how every lawyer learns this stuff is you have a bundle of sticks. And and when you buy property, typically you're buying that whole bundle, right? You're buying everything that goes with it, the obligation to pay taxes and the ability to live there and the ability to mine for gold and the ability to build a skyscraper if you want or whatever. in a trust, you take some of those sticks and give them to the administrator called the trustee, the person who manages the money. And you take others of those sticks and give those to the person who gets to benefit from the money, calling the beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got what's called legal title goes to the trustee, and they're the one that's responsible for the property, and their job is to manage it for the benefit of the equitable be- beneficiary, the person that that gets to enjoy the land. So what we do in estate planning for a lot of folks is we'll build a revocable trust. It's a trust that they build while they're alive 
uh, they put all their property in there. And now, so like Whitney's the trustee and she's the beneficiary. So she's responsible for the land. Mm. She gets to manage it for her own benefit. Well, nothing really changes when you do that. But what we can do is say the moment that Whitney gets bonked on the head and can't be in charge of her money anymore, the trustee hat now comes off of her head and goes over to her family or goes over to her friend or goes to her accountant or goes to her lawyer, you know, goes to a bank or trust company. Mm -hmm. And that person's going to manage Whitney's property for Whitney's benefit. She's still the beneficiary. And then the moment she dies, well, her spouse is the beneficiary of the trust. So now that trustee is supposed to manage the money for the benefit of her spouse. Well, he's died now too. So now it goes down to the kids, right? Now we're managing money for the kids. Uh, what are we doing for the kids? Well, we're paying for college for the kids, right? Um, and when they're 40, they get the money. Well, great. One of them dies at 35. Well, it's going to roll down to the grandkids and so on, right? So we end up with these trusts that have been around hundreds of years, literally, or, or close to, um, wow. that that are that kind of long-term thinking and long-term planning. The government's plan for you is we're just going to write a check and be done with it. That's what I thought. Okay. So this is the difference is almost like the legacy piece. Yeah. Um, That's a big part of it. You know, we use trusts a ton when you've got little kids involved because you can't just say, if I die, I've got a million dollars in life insurance. It's going to pay out to my three-year-old. Right. Right. Like like that's a bad scene. Yeah. Um, That never works out well. We see the stories. (laughs) Right. And and typically the person who's going to manage that money for that kid is the person who's appointed to be their guardian. And so now you've set up this really ugly situation where you're going to have everybody and their cousin coming to try to get guardianship over this kid because they're worth a million bucks, right? Mm. And so one of the things that we we want to do typically is say we're going to have you know my brother be the guardian of my kids and my sister be the conservator, the the trustee, the one who's going to manage the money for that kid. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to choose both of those roles <laughs> while I'm alive and appoint them in my plan. But with a, the, the reason you need a trust is to create that structure to give the legal authority to the sister to manage the money on behalf of the kids, for example. Got it. Yeah. So I have this in my own plan, right? I've got little kids. I've got, I've got uh, elementary age kids. And if something happens to me, there's life insurance money. It's going to pay out into my trust. That's for the benefit of my kids. But then I have a professional trustee who's going to manage that money for the benefit of my kids. So my kids don't get the money directly. When they turn 18, they don't get a check. They can talk to the trustee and say, I want to go to college. Please help me pay my tuition. Right? Uh, And the trustee will say, yeah, that's a sensible thing to do. You know, we'll write a check for that. Or I've graduated from college. I got a scholarship. But now I want to buy a business. Can you help me buy this business? Yeah, we can write a check for that. That's a sensible thing to do. Right? Or I want to make a down payment on a house. Well, great. We can use your dad's money to make a down payment on the house. But not, I want to throw a party for all of my friends. You know, Go to Ibiza. I I heard about a woman recently who inherited money. She rented, uh, this is going to make your skin crawl. She rented a villa in Italy for a month with a private chef and had all of her friends uh, come to Italy whenever they wanted. They just come in and hang out at the house. All expenses paid, private chef, um, a beach villa. She was there a month, and that was the inheritance. That's what she did with it. Holy crap, I wish I was her friend. Yeah, which <laughs> all the friends are going to, you know, I'm your friend, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. We talked in kindergarten, remember? <laughs> you can imagine, like, people people do that crap with their inheritance all the time, right? They do oh, something. Yeah. It's, it's the same. It's the lottery winner's problem, right? 100%. I've got all this free money. I didn't do anything to earn it. It just landed in my lap. I'm going to do something fun. Um, yeah, cool. People who think like you and me, and hopefully like a lot of your listeners say, well, sure, 
fun's good. Uh, also, <laughs> right? Like retirement savings would be nice. Paying off yeah. my mortgage would be really cool, you know? Yeah. So with with younger beneficiaries, you really want to help steer them in the right direction, right? right? And and younger in this context often means below about 40, right? <laughs> so oh, a, lot my, sure. a lot of my older clients will say, you know, my kid's pretty good with money, but if I die, they're going to get two and a half million bucks. I don't want to write a lump sum to, no. to pretty much anybody for that amount of money, right? No. So, and, and even, you know, we'll set up trusts for people who just have a couple hundred thousand dollars, but they're worried about what their beneficiary would do if they if it landed in their lap. So this is so fascinating. I could like legit talk to you for hours about this stuff because I find it, it's, it's just one of those things that it touches everybody's lives and it's never just your own. <laughs> so I think it's so important and I'm really grateful that you are explaining this in a way that I can actually understand it. Cause I know it's very intimidating to have these conversations. <laughs> my pleasure. And I always say I will lose patience with this process far later than my clients. So just, you know, this is what I love to do. I love to talk to people about this stuff. And so I'm here anytime if I can answer questions for folks. You know, I'm not allowed to give legal advice to anybody who doesn't have a connection to Idaho. Um, but I'm happy to, you know, stay in touch and see what I can do to help people out if, as they need it. Well, it doesn't have anything, you know? No. It doesn't. It doesn't. If we take the steps, right? Like, it, it becomes yeah. easier. Yep. Yeah. I so. love this. Scott, you are such a rock star and like legit, I'm going to bring you back Thank on you. again to chat about part two of yeah. Happy what to, to do if you're the executor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that, now that the loved one has died, what the hell do I do now? Right? No, for real. Cause this is something that we were talking to. This is something that's uh, becoming on my horizon now. I'm getting yep. to that age where my relatives are like, Oh, Whitney's responsible. We're going to reach out to her. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, frick. Like, Am I responsible? I don't know. It's, it's, it's that same thing, you know, that you see in all areas of your life where as you age, mm -hmm. you reach a point where you and all your friends, like all of a sudden everybody's popping out babies, right? Yes. All of a sudden everybody's getting married. It's like somebody rang a bell and everybody's getting married. Everybody's popping out babies. Everybody bought a house, you know, and right. you will reach that point where everybody starts to lose their parents, right? And, and you'll see that, that that can be a source of support for each other is like, Oh, I had to do that for my mom last year, you know? And, um, and it's just, it's part of those passages of life that we all, but for some reason people don't really want to talk about this piece of it, right? It, it, it's too personal or it's just a societal taboo or something that we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about the infighting between the siblings. Um, and so it's something that kind of goes undiscussed. We know everybody's out popping babies out right when they're in their 20s and 30s. We don't really talk about how people in their 40s and 50s are wrapping up mom and dad's estates all nope. the time. Very rarely. Um, and sometimes it goes smoothly and sometimes it's a total disaster. Mm -hmm. so, mm. Yeah, definitely yeah. going to be a part two for sure, guys. So stay tuned Wait. for that. Scott, <laughs> before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Sure. Bring it on. All right. First question for you. What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Uh, my road ID, the thing I was describing, gives me peace of mind when I'm out on a ride. Oh, love it. Love it, yeah. love it. That's a great one. Okay, next question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. So what is your current morning routine? Oh, shit. I don't want to say. Uh <laughs> I, I usually get up before the rest of my family. I go downstairs. I brew myself a pot of coffee. 
Um, and I usually get, grab my tablet, and for about 30 minutes, I play stupid, mindless video games. And I think it helps my brain come from like sleep to reality, right? And I'll sip mm-hmm. my coffee and I'll play a game, uh, and then I'm good to go. What game are you playing? <laughs> I've got to know. Um, right now, I'm playing a really fun game called Auto Brawl Chess. That's my that's my current addiction. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You have a bunch of little collectible card guys, and you collect them and level them up, and then you beat the crap out of each other. And sometimes you win, and sometimes you lose. We have very different morning routines, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. It's probably a, a routine that needs to change, to be honest. But it's what it is. If you it's know? serving you and you're having a good time, who cares? Me out of. Yep. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, my next question for you is let's assume this is post COVID. Cause I think it's a little bit more exciting, but where is one location you're dying to travel to? Um, I've always wanted to go to Iceland. Yeah. I, I, I don't really know quite why other than I think it's, you know, it's a fascinating country like geographically and geologically. Um, and it just looks, it looks beautiful and awesome. And Love it, love it, love it. I know. When you go, just let me know. Yeah. Most people in Iceland, I think, speak English, too, so that helps. <laughs> helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Make a plan. Stick to that plan. Um, and it's a long game. It's not a short-term process. Just like any anything that's worth doing, you got to kind of create a plan and stick with it. And little efforts will result in big, big gains in the end. I love it. Scott, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful you came on to to share some of this info. It's super important. Okay. What'd you think? Be honest. I know this is not a comfortable conversation, but I hope it was enlightening for you. And I hope more than anything, you take action on what you learned. There were so many good tidbits that I took away, but more than anything, give yourself some time a little bit of time, not too much time, not years, maybe a weekend, maybe two weeks, but give yourself a little bit of time to think through what do you want to have happen to your estate and to you and who do you want to care for you and all of that kind of stuff and give yourself that time to put it together and then immediately go take action on this. Do not procrastinate on this. As you can see, this is so important to really have a plan for. It's not something we can ignore. All right. Sorry for the downer episode. I think it's so important and I'm glad that you hung out with me this long. It's so critical. So please do me the biggest favor and share this with one person that you know. If there's someone that you are thinking of as you're listening to this episode, make sure you send it to them and let them know, hey, you know, I'm thinking of you. I thought this information was interesting. It might be helpful. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful for your support. I love you. Hope you're having a great week and I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye.